Let us pray. Almighty and most gracious Father, draw near to us this day, wherever we may be, and fill us with your Spirit, that your words of truth would ever be planted deep within, that we would ever be drawn near to you because your Spirit is at work, and that we would rejoice in the coming of Jesus our Lord and his revelation of himself, his revealing, his manifestation of his glory, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand all that you are doing in our midst, that we would always rejoice and praise you for all the honor and the glory belongs to you, O Father, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Ordinary things are all a part of our daily lives. It's amazing how things can be transformed. I think back many, many, many years ago to a February afternoon in 2002. That was a day when things changed for me when I look back on my life. On that day, I saw Rachel in a new light. I had known her for a couple of years at that point. She had started up at East Tennessee State at the same time that I started as a junior. And we had the same group of friends, and so we knew each other. But I'd never thought of her as anything more than just a friend. But for some reason on that afternoon, I saw her coming toward class, toward her class in the building that I was just leaving, and something changed. Something was different. I didn't know what to think about it. It would be months before I even talked about it with one of my friends. But now, after years and years of thinking it over and remembering it, I can look back and honestly say, my life went in a different direction than what I ever thought it would be. All because something changed that day in how I saw Rachel. And it's funny how such a simple, ordinary event as just seeing someone in a different light could change the way our lives go. Could change and be transformative to us that the Lord would come down and use a simple thing like that. And then even more so over the years as one recalls and remembers those events that have happened in our lives, we can see all the other events that spring forward out of that one event, out of some other event that you would never have thought could lead to that. And how it all takes on a sweeter and sweeter memory, a sweeter and sweeter taste for our lives. All of that reminds me of a book that I'm reading with the boys right now called Out of the Silent Planet. It's a book by C.S. Lewis. It's part of his sci-fi trilogy that he wrote back in the late 30s and early 40s. In it, there is a human character named Ransom who has become stranded on some other planet in the great universe. And while he is stranded there, he comes across an alien race there called the Harosa, and he befriends them and comes to learn so much about life from them. In the midst of his communication and learning their language, he comes to befriend one named Hayoi, and they become very dear to one another. And over the course of discussions with Hayoi, there is the thought of, how is it that you can have something that is so amazing and wonderful in your life be limited to such a small window of life? Say the idea of getting married and having children, that you only have a couple of years of your life for Hayoi where that's possible. Would you not want it to last longer and longer? And Hayoi says, why would I do that? The memory is part of the pleasure. Being able to look back on having a child 
and being with my wife and enjoying her presence all the days of my life. Looking back on that sweet moment part is part of the pleasure and that it grows and becomes greater and greater that remembrance ever adds greatness to a singular event. That remembrance is part of the pleasure of the moment. That we can hold on to that moment and embrace it more and more and see it spiderweb or see it cascade out into our lives more and more. And that thought has struck me today with our passage that in the moment when the disciples were experiencing this wedding at Cana, they had no clue exactly what Jesus was doing. They had no direct understanding of how this would cascade into future events, how this would become a foretaste of all that was to come. That in reflection, one can see a greatness to what Jesus does here, above and beyond that miracle of turning water into wine. And that the reality is that this act, this event of the wedding at Cana becomes a foretaste for us to look back on and then to look through toward the future of the great wedding feast to come, of the great wedding banquet when Jesus reveals himself fully as the bridegroom and takes the church as his wife. As he inaugurates the messianic kingdom in its fullness, not just within our hearts and hiddenly and in a hidden way in our midst, but expands it to cover the entire earth that the wedding at Cana is but a foretaste of that that we look back through into the future and embrace the work of Jesus that he will bring his messianic kingdom and that this sign at the wedding of water being turned into wine is the foretaste of that and the revelation and the revealing and the manifestation of his glory that is to come through his death for it is through his death that he will make that messianic kingdom occur. And so we just simply walk through this passage this day and we see many events happening. The first thing that we're going to see is how Jesus steps into the role of bridegroom for the sake of the bridegroom at the wedding. There in verse 1 it tells us that there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. And Jesus was invited with his disciples. But... A terrible event happened suddenly. The wine ran out. You may think, well, what's the big deal about that? So they ran out of wine at the wedding. They must have been really enjoying it. But in that culture, wine was part of the celebration. Wine was an important fixture for their feast. And to suddenly have no wine was going to bring great shame upon the bridegroom and his bride. It was going to bring great shame upon the whole festival, the whole feast of this wedding. And for some, it would have been considered a bad omen for the marriage itself. And so Jesus steps in to the role of bridegroom in a sense here. His mother comes to him and says, they have no wine. And Jesus simply asks her, well, what does that have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Jesus tells his mother that this isn't of my concern. He's not being negative. He's not being hateful. He's just simply saying this isn't part of the plan right now. My hour has not yet come. My hour to reveal the fullness of my glory is not yet here. However, his mother, knowing who he is and what he is able to do, looks to the other servants and says, do whatever he tells you. And in that 
Moment after that moment, right after that moment, Jesus steps into that role of bridegroom by taking charge of the issue of there not being wine. Yes, the wine has run out, and Jesus, initially saying that it doesn't concern him, still yet steps into that moment to bring a miracle, to bring a foretaste of what is to come. And so he tells the servants there to fill these stone water jars that are for purification. Each of them holding 20 or 30 gallons of water, fill them to the brim, John says that they did. They filled them up to the brim. And we know that these jars would have been used for purification, for that washing of hands and whatever else needed to be washed that could have become unclean in the process of some encounter. But instead of it getting used for the old ways, it, get used, it gets used for something new. It gets used to become a foretaste of the messianic feast. Here Jesus tells them to draw water out and take it to the master of the feast. There in verse 8, that drawing of the water out is a continual drawing. To take some out and to keep taking it out and taking it to the master and taking it to others. And so they did that. They took it out and drew it out into a wine glass and they took it to the master and the master tasted it and he said, this is the best wine ever. This man who is in charge of all of the festivities, of all of the food and all of the wine and the drink that was involved there. Jesus stepping into the role of the bridegroom, he provides the greatest wine possible for these people. Upwards of 180 gallons of wine in order to be a blessing to this marriage, to this wedding banquet. And thus, with this wine being made out of water, it becomes a foretaste of the messianic kingdom, a foretaste of the great messianic feast that is to come. Throughout the Old Testament, wine is always connected to feasting and to festivals, but especially so in prophecies throughout Isaiah and other parts of Scripture. Just alone in Isaiah 25, the Lord prophesies through Isaiah, saying that He is going to create a new kingdom, saying that He is going to create something new and glorious that all will look upon. There in verse 6 of chapter 25 of Isaiah, the Lord says, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. There connected with him swallowing up death, with him ending all of sin in this world, of him dealing with the brokenness of this world, is a great festival on the mountain of the Lord. A feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, a beautiful moment of celebration ensues because of the work of the Lord. The messianic kingdom is made manifest in that moment as all of death is done away with, as the brokenness of this world is done away with. Those who have waited on the Lord that he might save them, he has come to save them. He has come to give them salvation and to give them rejoicing, to give them a feast that is beyond all reckoning, a feast that is beyond their wildest imaginations, and thus Jesus acting to turn ordinary water into glorious wine is the foretaste of a messianic feast. 
Now, his disciples may not have realized what that was a picture of, but it's a moment, an action that reverberates forward that we can look back on, and I'm sure that John, the apostle, looked back on as he was writing this and saw this connection, saw the beauty of what the Lord was doing with this messianic feast to come, giving the people a foretaste of wine that was greater than any wine they had ever had, the best wine ever. And thus Jesus takes something ordinary like water and makes it into something great. He makes it into something that is of great use for all the peoples. And this, John says, was the first of his signs that Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and he manifested his glory. He revealed it. He made it known. And thus his disciples believed in him. They began to see that he is the Messiah. Of course, they didn't have the full picture of everything he was going to do, for his hour had not yet come. His hour of revealing the fullness of what it meant for him to be the Messiah was not yet here. But in that moment of taking ordinary wine, of ordinary water, he did something great. He transformed ordinary into something great. As he chose to slip into that role of bridegroom to bring about a foretaste of the messianic feast, he takes ordinary things and makes them great. He transforms water into wine for the people to feast with. And thus, that is how the Lord works. He takes ordinary things and makes them grand. He takes normal things and makes them beautiful. He takes things that we would like to forget about and makes them useful for all of us. He takes hardships and transforms them into something new. He drives us ever nearer to himself in order that we would see him more and more as the gracious Lord who is working to transform our ordinary souls into something glorious. He even takes an ordinary execution of someone accused of being a criminal and transforms it into the moment of salvation for this whole world. He takes what would seem ordinary for a Roman governor to do to execute someone that has been considered and treated and found guilty of being a criminal and then crucified. And the Lord uses the crucifixion of Jesus himself as the moment of salvation, as the moment of revealing his glory for all of those who have eyes to see. He transforms an ordinary execution into salvation for the whole world. He makes salvation possible through the death of Jesus. And for us, with eyes to see, a revelation and a manifestation of the glory of God and his love for people that we can ever look back on and see the reverberations, of course, throughout all of time and space, that both backwards and forward, salvation is accomplished through this revelation of God's glory on the cross. That transformation of an ordinary event in the eyes of the world becomes salvation for those with faith, for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand. He transforms the ordinary into something glorious just like he did with Joseph. An ordinary event of his brothers casting him into slavery. Ordinary events of him being cast into prison. And yet he was raised up to become second in command of all of, it, of Egypt in order that he would provide salvation for the world in the midst of a great famine in that area. He provides salvation for the people of God. God transforms the ordinary in order that he can use it for something great in his kingdom.
And everything gets used. Everything gets used by God and transformed by Him. That as we see that ordinary water can become wine by Jesus' word, ordinary parts of our lives can become not so much extraordinary, but great in the use of God. He uses us to accomplish His mission. He uses us to accomplish His work. He works through us by giving us His Spirit and transforming us to use us for great things in other people's lives. That we can then act and be who God has made us into. That God takes the old sinner and puts it to death through baptism, through ordinary water poured over us in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And through that act begins a transformation that leads us into true faith and a true trust and a salvation that we would walk in all the days of our lives And he continues to take ordinary words on a piece of paper called Scripture with his Holy Spirit dwelling within it to make it into the words of life that we can be changed always. That every event can be used by God to lead us nearer to himself when we have eyes to see, when we have ears to hear and hearts to understand. And we can look back and I'm sure remember events throughout our days That as we reflect on those events, we see ripples from them as God used that moment to work other things in us and other things in other people's lives. That is the work of the Lord. That is the work of Jesus stepping in to be a bridegroom to his church, to pour himself into the church through his death and resurrection, to give us his spirit, to renew our hearts and our minds, and to call us evermore into this transformation of the ordinary And so ordinary things are always used by God. Now on a normal, regular Sunday, we would have ordinary bread and wine that would be blessed and consecrated by the Spirit and by His Word to become for us the body and blood of Christ, to renew our hearts and our minds, to work in us inwardly, to be known outwardly. God works through ordinary means to bring us to Himself to give us a foretaste of the messianic feast that is to come. Because Jesus is the bridegroom. He is the true bridegroom who will step in and save us, who will step in and redeem us, who has stepped in to make us his own. So may we step back into the ordinary things that the Lord has given us and know that he is working through those ordinary things to transform them into his great use for his kingdom, to transform them into what he desires them to be, to bring him glory. And so rest in the work of the Lord right now, that as Jesus transformed ordinary water into wine, so he will transform the ordinary moments of your life into something that he will use, that he will use to make himself known through you. For he has redeemed you for the sake of Jesus. And if he has redeemed you, he will work in you. And he will make you more and more his own all the days of your life as you receive the work of the Spirit and the work of Jesus the Bridegroom. So may we follow after Jesus always, knowing that he is working for us and in us to transform us from ordinary people into the glorious new creation that he has brought about in himself. For he is the true Bridegroom who will change us and transform us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.